Uh, tonight, we've done this before, and it's good to see the nose back. You guys survived California? Yeah? Any tears? Yes, a few. I heard you cried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jay said, I've never seen Lennon cry. That's what he told me. I was like, yeah, he's not much of a crier, I guess. But I've, I've been texting him, find out if he's still breathing and all that type of stuff. I'm very excited. Good to see Grace tonight. And who's that guy sitting next to you, Grace? <laughs> all right, well, keep, make sure Adrian stays awake tonight, okay? Well, the book of Philippians is where we're going to start tonight as we're going through Route 66. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, there's 66 books in our Bible. A lot of times we call them books. Uh, many of them, like we're studying tonight, were actually really letters. And I love how all of the, we call it the canon of scriptures, how it all came together. You can see the picture there of all the books, Old and New Testament. And uh, we actually started between the Old Testament, New Testament, in that time frame that was 400 years long. And then we launched into the books of the New Testament, beginning with Matthew's gospel record. And notice here, we're, we're going through those books that are blue there on the shelf, and we're at least halfway through those. These are letters, or a word used that's a synonym is the word epistle, which means letter. And these were written to churches. So a lot of times when people say, well, we're a New Testament church, what does that mean? Where do we get uh, from the Bible, the things we do, our practice, and so on? It's in these books right here, these letters that we call the, the letters to the churches. And many of these, if not all of these, God used the Apostle Paul to pen these words. Now, we understand it wasn't Paul's words. It was the Word of God. Tonight, we come to Philippians and Paul's letter to those in Philippi. And notice I've entitled this. I like to give a little title to each one of these. And, and I want to tell you, again, if you're joining us maybe first time or first time in a long time, I, I, this, even though I go through this very quickly, if you, can't, if you lose something, you can go back and watch it, but I do go through these very quickly. It's a lot of information, but uh, these are meant to be overviews. It's almost like if we were in an airplane flying over and just looking down, uh, there's so much more that I hope you take the information and when you're doing your Bible reading and you're studying in the Word of God, maybe keep these pages, pull them back out and go, okay, yeah, I remember when we went through this. This is the purpose of the book. This is the occasion of it, when it was written, from where, and so on. So think about that as we're going through it. And this is called the letter of joy. The letter of joy. We're talking about Christian joy. Philippians 1.1, as Paul was writing, the, the name of it comes from those that he was writing to at Philippi. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, and here's the phrase, to all the saints in, notice, in Christ Jesus, which, were, uh, which are at Philippi, talking there about the city, and notice the terminology here, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, if you know the Word of God, there's two offices in the, in the New Testament church, and notice here the word bishop. The word bishop is synonymous with the word pastor. There's various distinctions to the office of a pastor. This is one of those. Uh, we've actually been talking about in Psalm 23 on Sunday nights how God has allowed the pastor. He's given him, the Bible says, the oversight. Uh, the pastor is, in a sense, the shepherd of a flock, but he's really, according to the word of God, the under-shepherd, because Jesus is the chief shepherd, 
and he's the good shepherd, the Bible says. And so this, this here is talking about the saints. Now think about that. Our church, uh, I don't use the term bishop for myself. We oftentimes say the pastor of the church is what we oftentimes, and again, it's another distinction of, of the one office of the church, a pastor. And then, of course, we have biblical deacons here at our church. And then anyone that's not the pastor or the deacons would then be the saints. So this church in Philippi, just like our church here at Bible Baptist Church. And this is who Paul was writing to. Now, notice Philippi, the city, was a Roman colony in what was known as Macedonia. Now, look at this map for a second. Notice the word there, it's in green towards the top up there around Europe. You see the word Macedonia, the region known as Macedonia. The Bible talks about uh, Paul, the Macedonian call, how Paul wanted to go into Macedonia and how the spirit and all that in the word of God. But notice the, the uh, city there, Philippi, the arrow pointing towards it. This was a Roman colony that was a part of the area known as Macedonia. Paul founded the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. And of course, Paul took many travels, many journeys going around. And as he came in, and notice I gave you the reference there, uh, I will be referring to Acts chapter 16 uh, here throughout this particular overview of the book of Philippians. But if you want to, on your own, go back and look at these verses. When Paul went to Philippi, notice that Lydia, who the Bible identifies, was a seller of purple, that Lydia was Paul's first convert there in Philippi. Now, that's, that's, that's a distinction. She was the first person saved. Uh, I don't know, 70 years ago when, when, uh, when Pastor Zemer started Bible Baptist Church in North, uh, in North Miami, Florida, I don't know who the first convert of Bible Baptist Church was, but somebody was the first person that was saved as a result of this ministry, and Lydia was there. Now, the, the wording there, seller of purple, uh, this, this means actually that she probably had, she was a very industrious woman, had people working under her. Uh, purple was a, a, a clothing, they would dye the clothing and they would use uh, certain berries uh, to actually, they would put them in water, boil them in a pot, they would take material and they would actually submerse it. Kind of interesting, the word that they would use is the word baptizo, we have the word baptize, it comes from that word, which basically means to dip or to plunge. So anybody in here ever tie-dyed? That's basically what Lydia would do, or the people that work for her, is they would take material. Now, why purple? Because purple was oftentimes wore by people of means, royalty, and so on. Not everybody wore purple, but Lydia was a seller of purple. Look at the verses here in chapter 16 and verse 14 of the book of Acts. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, in the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart, notice here, the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now, you think about you. I don't know about your life before you got saved, but listen, I, growing up, I heard a lot about God. I heard many things. Uh, I grew up religious, but I didn't know God. And notice the Bible says here that she worshiped God, but when she heard them, when she heard the truth of the word of God, the Bible says the truth shall make you free. When she heard that, look at the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart. Uh, she understood that she was a sinner and she needed the Lord 
just like everyone that's ever been born. And so soon after, notice here, after she was saved, the Bible then tells us in Acts 16 that the, she was joined by the Philippian jailer and, of course, his entire family. Matter of fact, turn your Bibles there to Acts 16. Look at a couple of these verses that we'll see here in this chapter. Acts 16, look at verse number 29. And you might be familiar with these verses, but look at them again in verse number 29. Now remember, Paul and Silas, they, they had been thrown into prison. And here they are. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 25 that they were at midnight, they were praying. And I love this. They're in jail and they're singing praises to God. And here they are, they're being, they're being guarded by a, a jailer, they're prisoners. And this was, look, this was a serious thing. If, if prisoners escaped, the people that were guarding them, they lost their lives. That's just the way it went. And so the Bible records here that in verse 26, and this was God working in their lives, says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. Now, only God can do that. And it says here, everyone's bands were loose. I mean, so this thing, it's shaking. The whole jail is shaking. And the doors all fly open. All their chains fall off. And the Bible says, and the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep. Boy, it sounds to me like uh, he wasn't really doing his job. He was snoozing on the, on the job. He was, he was fast asleep. He didn't have to worry about anything. Why? Because... They're in their jail cells, the doors are locked, they're chained up, but the Bible says he woke out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. You see, he already thought they were gone. The Bible says, supposing the prisoners had been fled. Look at verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Isn't that interesting? The doors open. Any prisoner that had an opportunity would have just, they would have got out of there. But Paul and Silas and all the prisoners are still sitting there. They hadn't moved. And the Bible says that Paul tells him, he says, look, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And verse 29, then he called for a light. Because again, if you know anything about these prisons, no light, no outside windows, dark places. They were inner prisons. And so he gets a light. He sprang in, the Bible says, he came trembling. He thought, what in the world's going on? And the Bible says here that he fell down before Paul and Silas. Here's a man that is a man of authority, and he falls down in front of the Apostle Paul. And it says, and he brought them out, and look what he asked him. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, I, I've been out knocking doors for many, many years, and I've only had one time where somebody came kind of close to asking me a question like that. And, and he says, look, uh, whatever, whatever you have, I want it. Whoever opened the prison doors and took your chains off, I want to know that person. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And look at this, verse 31. This is the only way somebody can be saved. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and here's this shows a changed heart because he washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway so boy you talk about look here a church getting started brother Lewis came by this week and brother Lewis said pastor I wanted to stop and and uh, just talk to you I had some folks visit they had their first service on Sunday and uh, God bless they had of course some people from 
his uh, sending church, his pastor came down, but they had folks that came that uh, they had gone out, canvassed, and invited people. People uh, from the, the uh, Facebook ad came to the service. And he came, he came here and he says, I, Pastor, I had this lady in this situation. I'd like to talk with you. And so I shared with him a little bit from the Word of God and things that I've had to deal with. And boy, he's excited. And that's, that's what was going on here in Philippi was this seller of purple. She got saved. And, and then this Philippian jailer, he got saved in his whole house. Look, are you starting to see that a church is starting to be birthed? And before long, more and more people are being saved. The church continues to grow. That's how our church, after 70 years, still exists here, is one person, one soul at a time. And that's how churches continue to grow. God gives the increase. So he, she is joined by the Philippian jailer. Now, most of the members of the church that were at Philippi were Greek and Roman Gentiles. And the reason for that is, if you look historically, there were few Jews in the area, and that was because there was an absence of a synagogue in the area. And so most of the time, even today, uh, you can look around the United States and you can easily find huge pockets of Jewish people because if there's a synagogue, there's going to be Jews living around that synagogue. And it was the same thing was true in Paul's day. So the church was mostly Greek and Roman Gentiles. Now, this church was very exciting, and we'll talk about this here a little bit tonight, but it really excelled, the church in Philippi excelled really more than other churches you even see in the Bible. And here's, here's some areas that it excelled in, in their attachment to and their generosity towards the Apostle Paul. They were, they were very attached. By the way, understand that God providentially used the Apostle Paul to birth this church, to get this church started, like God's using Brother Lewis in Miami Lakes, God used the Apostle Paul in Philippi, so he was dear to these people. Now, he didn't stay and pastor the church, we'll talk about that in a minute, but he had a special place in their heart because of what he did, the role that he played in this church, and boy, because of that, they were very generous to the Apostle Paul, and so look at these verses here in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Where the Bible says, now you Philippians know also, here's Paul's testimony. He says that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when I came to your city, started preaching the truth, he says, when I departed from Macedonia, when I left that region, no church communicated with me. And the word communicate is not just talk to, it also is to support prayerfully, financially, like we do our missionaries. He says, no church uh, communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He says, no other church uh, loved me, supported me, cared for me the way that you did. And he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. And next week, we're going to look at those two books, First and Second Thessalonians, which were both written to the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, even when I was in Thessalonica, he says, you sent to help me, you sent to be an encouragement, you were supporting me while I was there. And this is why this church, I believe, was flourishing because they were a church that understood the significance that, of people that God used. I hope, look here, I hope you have not forgotten about the person God used to bring you to Christ. Uh, some of my fondest memories of Gerald Gilbert is going up and down the streets of our city knocking on doors. 70, 80-year-old man, 
across the street as I'm knocking doors, I can look across the street, and here he is, faithfully sharing. Uh, the, last, the last few times Brother Gilbert and I went out, I, I, you know, of course, I'm a little bit younger than he was, not much. And, uh, and so we're out and we're knocking doors. So I'd get down the street a little quicker on my side than he would. So when I'd get to the end of the street, I'd cross over and I'd come back. And when I, when I, would, when I would catch up to him, so to speak, he would always get on to me. This is my side of the street, you know. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Brother Gilbert. I'm just trying to be a blessing, you know. <laughs> but he was passionate about telling people. And this is what we see here is how passionate the church in Philippi was towards the Apostle Paul. Notice the occasion of the writing, and there were really two specific uh, circumstances for the writing of what we call the book of Philippians. Notice the first one was the church at Philippi, and I just mentioned this, had been generous in their support of the Apostle Paul, and so here's what he was doing. God let him write to thank them. He was, he was literally saying, look, you have no idea when I gave Brother Lewis uh, the, 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 the check that I gave to him from our church, he, he looked at me and he says, Pastor, thank you. And he says, make sure you tell the church, thank you for me. And, of course, I told him, I said, well, look, there's going to be more. I said, because we took you on for support. Uh, I'll tell you a little, little something, and, again, I, I'll say it because he's in heaven. He's probably listening to us anyway. But Brother Lewis was here, and I gave him that check, and then I handed him a, a card, gift card, that had $100 on it. And as I was handing it to him, I said, I, I normally don't do this, but I said, I'm going to tell you where this gift card came from. I said, this gift card came from the man that just passed away last night. It was the last offering Brother Gilbert gave to the work of the Lord. And I gave that to Brother Lewis, and Brother Lewis had this look on his face, almost like he was going to start crying. And I said, you would have had to know, Brother Gilbert, I mean, all the things that Brother Gilbert understood how important the work of the Lord is. And listen, we need to make sure we're carrying on that same heart of giving towards the work of the Lord. And again, I, this is a great, great church. And so Paul's writing here, first of all, to thank them. Now, you know, as Paul was writing, and if you read this week the book of Philippians, there are other things that you see. This isn't the second reason, but uh, as you read through it, one thing you do discover while you're reading through the book of Philippians, like, uh, and again, we've, we've been blessed here, but there was a division in that uh, church among that group of people that arose, and it was really a, a division over a misunderstanding between two of the women in the church. Notice this verse here in chapter 4 and verse number 2. Look at the names here. He says, I beseech, or in other words, I beg. He says, I beseech Yodius, and I beseech Sinpiki. Boy, you want to name your kids something? Name her Sinpiki, all right? Uh, name her Yodius, all right? <laughs> but he, these are two women that were in the church of Philippi. And the Bible says here, I, I'm begging you ladies that you be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, look, don't let something come between you that's going to halt the work of God, that's going to stop the blessings of God. And listen, make sure that we are right with one another. It, it, look, we are a body. There's many members but one body. And when there is something going on with one member or something between two members, it hurts the body. And that's why Paul says, look, we all, he's, he's saying to both these ladies, 
you need to have one mind, and that mind is you need to have the mind of Christ. And we see that in the book of Philippians. Now, uh, one of the phrases that I love that Paul uses over and over again, and uh, I guess if he was from a different part of the country, uh, but he uses these words, you all. Now, if it was down in the south, it'd be y'all, right? Uh, but the Bible says you all. He constantly is using this phrase. And when he uses the word you all, it's plural. He's talking about all the believers in the church. And, and he uses this over and over again. And when he's talking to these church members in Philippi, listen to this. Here's a description of the church in Philippi. This great church that we oftentimes look to for encouragement, this church was poor. This church was a uh, church struggling, and there was trouble from persecution during this time. A lot of times we think, boy, it's tough in our day. There was persecution, and they were experiencing that. There was dissension, and there was quarreling among a few of the members. And, of course, there were also jealousies among the members. These were all things. Now, again, this book, I've entitled it The Letter of Joy. There was, there was great joy here, but there was also some undercurrent going on here and Paul was writing to them not only to thank them but here's the second reason that he wrote them is when Paul received uh, this contribution he used the word communicate this offering uh, from the Philippians that he loved so much Paul forwarded them this letter that we're studying tonight and he really poured his heart out to them and he was encouraging them to rejoice always in every circumstance it's easy to rejoice when you're on the mountain, right? Paul says, look, even when you're in the valley, the, the Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. So here's what he's telling them. Look, no matter what the circumstances is, we all face uh, battles and trials. And I love this little four-chapter book in the Bible. The contents of the book of Philippians it was an expression of Paul's love and his affection to these saints in Philippi. And it really also covers uh, Paul's account of his imprisonment at Rome. And he, I love this. He provoked. Now, that's not a bad word. It's actually a good word. Uh, it's, you know, it's, he's not doing something bad here. But he provoked them to love one another. He provoked them to have unity among them, the, the members and to have peace among them. And I really believe this is the heart of God, is that we would love one another, have unity, have peace among us. He also cautioned them against false teachers and Judaizing Christians that were trying to join. Now watch, here's, here's what they were doing. They were trying to bring together Moses and Christ. Now, can, can I ask you, why did he use the word Moses that, that's synonymous for the law? Because Moses represents the period of the law. Well, well, let me ask you this. Can the law save you? No. Who saves us? Jesus. But see, they were these Judaizing Christians were trying to bring together these false teachers. They were trying to bring together Moses or the law and Christ. Remember what happened on the Mount Transfiguration? Uh, Peter saw, Peter, James, and John were there, and they saw Moses and Elijah, and Jesus was there with them. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. By the way, that's a distinction, the law and the prophets. It's talking about the entire Old Testament. And so when you look at that, it's talking about the, the, the law itself. And so the Bible says that when they looked up, remember what Peter's sentiment was? Hey, let, this is good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. And when they looked up, 
Moses was gone, Elijah was gone, and who was standing there? Jesus. And it was a great illustration for us that Moses and Elijah, the law cannot save us, but only Jesus saves. Jesus said, I'm the way. So when we look at this, these false teachers in Philippi, they were trying to join Moses in Christ. They were trying to join the law and the gospel. Now look here, what is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you add the law, in other words, a system of works, if you add that to what Jesus already did, then you are saying that what Jesus did was not enough. Do you understand the false teaching? By the way, what they had going on there, these, these Judaizing Christians, is still prevalent in our day-to-day. People are still, many religions today, still teach a system of works. Yes, you need to be saved, but you have to do this. Uh, folks, there's a lot of times they say you have to be baptized. That's not Bible. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the other thing is they were trying to add or bring together works and grace. Hey, listen, it's all grace. It, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, the Bible says. So they were trying to bring all these things together. And so what was Paul doing? He was just cautioning them, hey, look, don't listen to those false teachers. What can we do in our day when we hear something? Does it line up with the book? If it doesn't line up with the book, it's false, right? And so we need to make sure that we, we are doing the same thing. So look at this. He challenges them to live a humble and a holy life. And I'm challenging you as people of God today, live a humble and holy life. The character of this book, it was practical Christianity. I love the study of the book of Philippians. We've already been through it here at our church. The subject, I love this, the subject is Christ. Now look at the aspect here. Christ, our life. Christ, our example. Christ, our goal. Christ, our strength. He's our joy. And all of that, even through times of suffering. What, what a Savior that we have and we see here that that's the subject of the book of Philippians. The purpose, it was written for the joy and progress of our faith. That's why God included it, to help us with our faith, teach the Christian that his or her experiences are not shaped by outward circumstances, but they are shaped by the life of Christ within. Look, it is God that is transforming us, and this is what we must see. Look at this verse, Philippians 1.25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, Paul says, and he says, with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Paul says, look, I'm going to stay here. I want to be a blessing, but I want to help you to grow in your faith. Look at this simple outline. Uh, notice like many of these books, you have an introduction at the beginning. You have some verses at the end, the conclusion, uh, just like any letter you would have a, a small greeting and an ending. But what was between it? Notice here, it's all about the Lord. Christ, the believer's life, we're rejoicing in suffering. Christ, the believer's ideal, we're rejoicing in lowly service. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ, the believer's object, uh, rejoicing despite imperfections. Look, none of us are perfect. We are all growing in, in, the, in the Lord and then notice Christ, the believer's power, we're rejoicing in the circumstances that God has brought into our lives. The writer, of course, we've mentioned is Paul. And when did he write this letter and from where? 
when he was in prison in Rome about 62 AD. Uh, they, they believe that it was about 10 years after the first time Paul actually preached at Philippi that he wrote this. Now, what's neat about it is Paul was in prison, but even though he was in prison as one of Nero's prisoners, uh, you can sense as he writes here that this letter really shouts with triumphs of joy and rejoicing. I love this, how Paul was, of course, a prisoner. This is one of the prison epistles that oftentimes we refer to. And there's four of these books. We looked at one last week. Both of them tonight are both prison epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison under house arrest in Rome. And we'll look at one uh, in a couple weeks also. The key chapter is chapter 2. And uh, this is really where we see Christ, the believer's pattern. And I want to just pull over here for just a, a quick moment. This passage is one that has fascinated me for many, many years. I think it's one of the great passages in our Bible um, because it's about the Lord. It's about the pattern that he gives to us and one that we should pay attention to. Now, when you look at this, in theological terms, this passage is known as the kenosis passage. Here's the word, kenosis, all right? Uh, now, the word kenosis means to empty, so when you look at this, this particular uh, kenosis passage, uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it actually refers to the doctrine of Christ and his self-emptying in his incarnation. Now, do you, are you familiar with the word incarnation? Okay, it's, it's, look here. It's when Jesus left heaven and he came to this earth, we call that Christmas, all right? We celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, you, you know that that's not when Jesus began, right? Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no ending. But that's when he became a man, as you look at the Word of God, without ceasing to be God. I mean, the Bible tells us that he was fully God. He was fully man. And so when you look at this passage here, and I love these verses, notice here uh, it says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now just think about that. We need to have his mind. We need to think like him. You remember years ago when they came out with the WWJD stuff? Remember what that means? Anybody remember what it means? What would Jesus do? And the whole premise was like Philippians 2, 5 through 8, is what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? It's a great thought. And the Bible says right here, let, this, let your mind be the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, he was God, go back to that, go back to that, go back to that, verses, hello, there we go, all right, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, the Bible says, and took upon him the form of a servant, that's talking about being a man. So, you know, stay here with this verse. So here's what he did. He, he robed himself. I put these clothes on this morning. Jesus, when he left heaven, he put on a robe of flesh. All right? The Bible teaches us that man is body, soul, and spirit. All right? So Jesus, when people saw him, they didn't see his glory because it was robed it was veiled. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, the Bible says that the veil was his body. 
All right? So when Jesus was on this earth, the Bible says he took upon himself the, uh, the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion, in other words, walking around as a man, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now, you know, you said the word of God. Jesus humbled himself on this earth. And the Bible says he became obedient unto death. Listen, can you imagine, you know the ramifications if Jesus would not have gone to the cross. But he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. Why? Because he was God. He knew we needed a Savior. Now, let me share just a couple thoughts before I move on. Because when you look at this, Jesus becoming a man without ceasing to be God, listen to this, don't miss this. Jesus did not empty himself of his divine attributes or his deity. In other words, he did not stop being God. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians 2.9. You have it there. For in him, this is while he was on the earth, in him dwelleth all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he was all God and he was all man. Everybody with me tonight? Now listen, listen to this end. Here's what he did do, because kenosis, the emptying, he, he took upon the form of a servant, and he, he made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? Here's what it is. Jesus set aside, what did he set aside? His heavenly glory, he voluntarily refrained from using. Remember, you've heard the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He voluntarily refrained from using his divinity by completely submitting himself to the will of his Father. Now, look, when Jesus sat down, he had, he had half-brothers, all right? Jesus could have sat down with Mary and Joseph, his mom and dad, and at breakfast time, when he's eating his pancakes and the syrup's all the way at the other end of the table, he could have just went, you know, like that. But he didn't. He, he was a man. He did not use those divine powers, those abilities, here's what he did. He operated within the limitations of humanity. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? The Bible talks about how Jesus wept. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was tired. Those are human attributes, things that you and I experience. So when it comes to this kenosis passage, all right, I'm going to move on. When it comes to this, Look, don't focus on what Jesus gave up. Listen to me. Don't focus on what he gave up. Focus on what he took on. He became a man so that we might have eternal life. See, that's why that passage is so great. He added to his divine nature a human nature as he humbled himself for us. All right? Now, the book of Philippians, the key verse uh, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, uh, I, I've said this one a couple times, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then the other one that, that's been a great one is Philippians 1.21. Paul says his own testimony, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a great testimony. What a great verse there. Some of you may have that as a life's verse. The key word is the word joy. And you see this word used in some form uh, it, it occurs 19 times, and you, you can also see it in the form rejoice, which is a, a form of the word joy. Uh, the key phrase is rejoice in the Lord, 4-4, uh, four, four, rejoice in the Lord always, and, and I say rejoice. The key thought is Christian experience, Christian experience, 
and it's all about living a joyful Christian life. The spiritual attitude of the book of Philippians is the mind of Christ, and what is it? To esteem others better than ourselves. That's what Philippians 2, 3 says. And then in the book, how is Christ seen? He's seen as our strength. And the Bible tells us how we can do all things through Christ, which does what for us? He strengthens us, all right? The Lord's the one that gives us strength. And I love the book of Philippians. I hope you enjoy it. Look at the other book, the book of Colossians. And the title of this one is Christ is All in All. As Paul was writing to to those, uh, he says here, those at Colossae is who Paul was writing to in uh, Colossians 1, 2, to the saints, the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossae, just like other cities, uh, now interesting, this was a city of an area known as Phrygia, uh, Asia, and you can see on this map here where Colossae is up there. Notice just to the side, it's my left, that'd be your right, just to the left or right of Colossae, just 12 miles from it is the city known as Laodicea. That's that last uh, church that you see in the book of Revelation of the seven churches in Asia Minor. And again, there's a lot in the Bible about Laodicea. People believe that this is, that's talking about the end times, maybe what we're living in. But this was an area of Asia. Notice the pastor of the church in Colossae was Epaphras. And under the ministry of this dear pastor uh, in this city that was really an unimportant, insignificant city known as Colossae, that these people, these saints of God, they actually made a name for themselves as a church because of those that had faith in God and they were being faithful saints that lived there. What a great testimony to those uh, saints of God in the city known as Colossae. The Bible says in, in chapter 1 and verse 4, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Also, ye also, he says here, as ye have learned also of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister, or he was the pastor of those dear saints in Philippi, or in Colossae. Now, the occasion of the writing here from Epaphras, notice here, Paul actually heard word, he learned there was a need, and here's what the need was. It was to help them to combat false teaching and wrong practices, and here's the biggest one in Colossae, they were denying the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that's still going on today. People want to just say that Jesus was a good man, that Jesus was a teacher. And listen, he was a good man. He was a teacher, but he was God in the flesh. And that's why I call this Christ is all in all. And we need to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Look at this verse. I love uh, verse 18 of chapter one. He is the head of the body. And what is the body? It says the body is the church who is the beginning, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, not some, all things, that he might have the preeminence. The word there, uh, if you've ever seen this, uh, it's, you ever heard the word prototype? 
It's the very first one. Sometimes it might be uh, an a automobile plant, and it's the first model to come off the assembly line. That's the prototype. And the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn. He was, he was the, the, uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, listen, that he might be first or have first place. And the Bible tells us that, that we should make sure that we're not leaving our first love. Why? Because he loved us before we ever loved him. And so we need to make sure that we understand the supremacy. Paul's writing here, notice the contents. He's trying to commend them and he's trying to confirm them in the faith of the gospel. Listen, that's what any faithful man of God would do for the saints is to commend them, to confirm them. Look, people don't need to be beat down. They need to be encouraged to continue to serve God. That's what he's doing here. He warns them, here's two forms of error that were in the church in Colossae. One of them was Judaism, which again is a system of works and adding something to what Jesus already did. But look at this other one, mysticism. Now, how many of you know mysticism is still practiced even to this day? Uh, I remember a couple weeks ago I saw, you probably saw the news clip, uh, some gal uh, came here to Florida, they said to sell her truck. I don't know if you remember that story on the news. She disappeared. They found her little bitty boy, cute little boy, curly hair. And uh, I, as far as I know, I don't know if they ever ha still have found her, but they arrested a guy. The guy they arrested, they said, proclaims to be a witch. Uh, there are still people that still read tarot cards and they still all kinds of, of various things. Mysticism is something that was prevalent in the church in Colossae, in that area where the church was. It is a, a, an erroneous uh, belief system. Listen to some of these things about mysticism. They claim that they had visions from which gave them a higher level of spirituality. Now again, a lot of times people talk about these things that they see and, and so on, but they, these folks would claim that they are more spiritual because they've had these visions and mysticism is very dangerous because it claims that these visions were from God. Now, look, folks, God's scriptures are closed. We can't add anything to the word of God. And there are still churches today, religions today, that try to give people things that are extra, that are outside the confines of the word of God. And in Paul's day, those in Colossae, there were people that were claiming to have these visions, and they said, these came from God. And so what they would do is they would then try to to mimic what God would do or what actually God would do himself. And this practice was very common. People would claim to have some particular spiritual gift. And usually they would, they would call it this way. And maybe some of you have heard talk like this. They would say that they had a word of knowledge is what they would say. People talk like they got something from God, a word of knowledge, or they would say a word of wisdom and then as they receive that word of knowledge, word of wisdom, they, they determine that, that this was God's will for themselves, but then they also would tell everybody else what was God's will for them. Now, this is dangerous practice, and it is something that was going on in Paul's day. These claims oftentimes intimidated the average person that sat in, in the church in Colossae. I think they're still intimidating to many people today, just like in Paul's day, who really don't know how to evaluate these things. They really don't know how to refute these. And this was the specific 
problem that Paul was stating here that was going on in the church in Colossae and in, in the area around the church. Now, people would claim to have, again, a vision from God, and then as they received these quote-unquote visions, they would then take a stand on it. They would claim it as a source of authority uh, for themselves, and then they would also then tell others what they were to do. And so, again, you had to understand, people would use these types of things to really gain an audience, to have people understand, to rise in power and so on. That's why you see in the Bible when, when Paul and others, uh, there were people, one testimony in the Bible in the book of Acts was that there was a man by the name of Thutius and he rose up and, and people followed him and, and, and before long uh, those people were gone and then this person rose up and people followed him. And remember what he said, if this be of God, then who are we to withstand it? So there were oftentimes people that would claim these spiritual or spirituality. And again, this was something, it was all about having authority over other people. So that goes right into the character of the book of Colossians. It deals with doctrinal truth. And again, we must be guided by the doctrines of the word of God. The subject of the book of Colossians is the fullness of Christ. And notice here also, your and mine are fullness that we have in him. We get that from Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So again, his fullness and our fullness that comes from being in him, being a child of God. Uh, the purpose of the book of Colossians is to present Christ in his person and also in his work as the answer to any heresy. And again, the theme, Christ is all and in all. So Colossians chapter 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Notice here, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So quick, simple outline, just like the book of Philippians. Notice again, you have an introduction, you have a conclusion between those. Here, it, this begins with Paul's intercession. He is, he is making intercession for them, some of the things that they're dealing with. Then notice the next two sections deal with the Lord, how he is the preeminent, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Then notice that Christ, the incarnate Lord, that he was God in the flesh. And then notice the last section before the conclusion takes those two former sections and it brings us into it, and it gives us the believer's union with the preeminent and the incarnate Lord. And it's a tremendous four chapters that you see here in the book of Colossians. Paul was the writer. Uh, the Bible says, a Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. And just like the last book, around 62 AD, and again, this is also one of those prison epistles that Paul wrote as he was there under house arrest. The key chapter in Colossians is chapter number one, where we find that Paul's emphasis there, God's emphasis is on the indwelling Christ. Listen, the Lord is in us. God is working in our lives. Colossians 3.11 is the key verse. Uh, says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's where we get the title of this particular book. The key words, the biggest one is the word all. 
and all the rest of them here are mentioned eight times each. The Bible talks about all knowledge, all wisdom, of course, all fullness. He is all full, are filled uh, with the Lord. And so these are the key words here. Of course, the most important one is the word all. The key phrase is with Christ. The Bible says in chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which notice where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So listen, the Bible clearly tells us that we are risen with him, that he rose, and because he rose, we rose. And what a wonderful thought there. That's, that's why when we baptize people, we, we use the biblical model, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. And we see that in Romans chapter number 6. And so uh, the key thought here goes back to what we talked about earlier, Christ preeminent, that he is first in our lives. Spiritual thought is to crown him Lord of all. Crown him Lord of all. And then how do we see the Lord in the book of Colossians? The fullness, he is the fullness of the Godhead, of course, bodily. That while Jesus was on this earth, that he was God in the flesh. What a great little book that book is, the book of Colossians. And so there's a, a quick overview. Now, again, notice both these books, very important in our Bible, really helpful to the church. And when I say to the church, I'm talking about to the people of God, even here in 2020. Next week, we're going to uh, do First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, First Thessalonians has five chapters, Second Thessalonians three chapters. So you have eight chapters, a little over a chapter a day. Make sure you're doing your Bible reading so that you're at least familiar as we go through it might help you to kind of just put things together a little bit. And then, of course, don't forget about services uh, this coming uh, Lord's Day. Looking forward to a great day. Pray for Miss, uh, Miss Becky and Brother Kenny as they're getting a little time away in Colorado. He sent out pictures today. They woke up and saw the ro uh, Rocky Mountains and all kinds of deer roaming around. So uh, no iguanas there, uh, just just deer running, roaming in, in the the. Uh, the thicket there, but pray for them. They have a great time. Looking forward to having them back. And uh, keep praying. Of course, we're looking forward to uh, celebrating Brother Gilbert's life. And uh, we, we're just going to keep pressing on. That's what Brother Gilbert would want us to do. And uh, what a great man of God he was. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. And I want to thank you for coming tonight. Hopefully the Lord used the, the study tonight to help you a little bit with the, your study in the Word of God. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you'd bless the time we've had. Thank you for your word and for the encouragement and, and really sometimes the warning that you give to us. Lord, we need to be aware of still false teachings in the world we live in. Make sure that we are uh, living our lives according to the word of God. Thank you again for the heart of Paul, but most of all for your word and for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.